You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on a really nice looking, admittedly going to be overcast today and a little bit drizzly, but at least it is warm outside Wednesday in Indianapolis. Good morning to you, Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton. It is Kevin and Query here on 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. Hope you are set for a spectacular day today. Colts trying to get themselves set for a big one on Sunday with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville kind of coming limping in, Kevin, but uh, the reality is that front four defensively for Jacksonville feels to me like that really kind of sets the tone of the game. Boy, and it set the tone in this matchup. You know, in recent years, mentioned earlier, five sacks, 11 hits against Matt Ryan in week two. Um, you know, Carson Wentz was under siege for much of that season finale down there. But it has been different when you played them at home. And I think that is a little bit of the saving grace. And again, you're going to have Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. Not having them in week two, I thought was huge. Um, They loaded the box. They stuffed Jonathan Taylor. The biggest contribution you got from Paris Campbell all game long was an offensive pass interference penalty in the fourth quarter. So I think having Pittman and what Pierce has done since his return should alleviate, I think, some of how Jacksonville can just suffocate Taylor and that run game the other thing Jake in this matchup your guy Trevor Lawrence he has got to be salivating seeing the Colts on the schedule because he has been a below average NFL quarterback against every team not named the Colts but against Indianapolis whether it was Eberflus and that defense to end last season or whether it was back in week two against Gus Bradley just absolutely dominated in both of those games. That early drive, settling into it. He's had perfect opening drives in both of those Jacksonville wins, and I think it's totally set the tone and just given him a jolt of confidence that, frankly, he needs. How about these numbers? Trevor Lawrence in four games this season against teams not named the Colts. 58%. Six touchdowns and four interceptions, a passer rating of 82. Pretty pedestrian. Against the Colts, 83% completion percentage, two TDs, no picks, and a passer rating, I believe it's career high, of 121. Here's the thing about Lawrence. You're begging Frank Reich to make this abundantly clear to Gus Bradley. What happened to start week two cannot, 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 cannot happen again. The... We were sitting in the press box during the Colts-Titans game. I think Jacksonville got up 14-0 on the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken. And Brendan King said, oh, man, Jacksonville's up 14-0. And I said to Brendan King and JMV, they were sitting to my right, uh, Chuki Bakori sits down to my left, and I said, guys, I'm telling you, I watched Trevor Lawrence every snap of his college career. I read about him in his high school career coming into college, all the expectation. He basically was an Arch Manning-level recruit when he came into college. Um, And I said, I'm telling you, as soon as it clicks for him, it's going to be tough for everybody because he is a Peyton Manning-level talent. Now, I realize I'm starting to look like a fool in saying that. Maybe he is just an average NFL quarterback or below average, to your point, Kevin. But I really felt like once Jacksonville had won that game against Indianapolis this year, that maybe that was what turned the corner for him. Because in year two for Peyton Manning is when it it turned the corner, right? It hasn't happened yet. 
But what he does and does well and did really well in college, there are two things that Trevor Lawrence could do really well. The first was, and I think Jacksonville maybe hasn't utilized this enough, and I understand that you really can't do it in the NFL. But in college, a big part of his game was being able to keep defenses honest by at times pulling the ball down and running with it or throwing against his body on rollouts. And in terms of throwing against his body in rollouts, he was able to do that and has been able to do that against the Colts. And that jump starts what he does in a game. And I, it seems like the Colts defensive line has not had the lateral quickness necessary to be able to limit that. And that's where everything starts for him. And other teams have been able to corral that and the Colts have not. And that's where he gets going. If you think about the plays he's made against the Colts defense, he gets into rhythm with those rollouts and throwing across his body. I think those opening drives, Jake, the Colts have hoped Lawrence would make the mistake and not tried to kind of dictate him into making that mistake. And I feel like that's a dangerous game to play. That's a good way of saying it, yeah. You know, you're kind of waiting for your opponent. You're like, hey, you know, this guy's pretty inconsistent. He struggled. Let's just make sure that we keep everything in front of us and he'll eventually make that mistake. The problem is he hasn't made it on the opening drive in either of these last two games. I think it was eight for eight in the season finale last year in Jacksonville. I think it was seven for seven back in week two. And all of a sudden, those opening drive touchdowns, again, I think it's a jolt of confidence for him. And now, to your point, Jake, when he gets out of the pocket later in games, I think back to this first and 20 throw he had to Christian Kirk in the week two game, just across his body, rolling to his left. You know, that throw I don't think happens without what he did on that opening drive and giving him some belief of what that afternoon is going to be all about. It'll be Andrew Catalan and James Lofton, but no Michael Grady, right, Mark Dykton? That is confirmed from Michael Grady himself. Okay. There was a press release sent out that Michael Grady would be on the sidelines, but I think it's the uh, PGA Tour um, do they call her the sideline reporter? Would they call her the gallery reporter? Sideline. Oh, in golf? Yeah. Amanda Balionis. Amanda mm-hmm. Renner, I think, is her name. Marriage. By the way, if they both were wearing their black helmets, just the the, the standard all-black helmets with the, the logo on it, do you think the Jaguars or the Cardinals are cooler? Did you see the Cardinals black helmets they wore on Sunday? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I did like those. But I don't like Kyler Murray, so I can't go there. You don't like him? Ah, he just rubs me the wrong way. I think that's and you and Cliff King King Kingsbury don't like him. I think you both are I would agree. pod there. Yeah. Cliff and I don't have a lot alike. Certainly, we don't look alike. Cliff Kingsbury's updating his resume, right? Yes, he is the most likely NFL coach to be fired next. Can you imagine, like, would you, here's the thing, would you put that on your resume? Most fired. likely to be fired, 2022. <laughs> because you've got to be, like, a prominent figure in order to, you know, in other words, like, nobody's talking about how, like, whoever's in Jacksonville. Like, was Urban Meyer ever discussed as, like, most likely to be fired? It's just an automatic, right? Like, okay, no. whatever. you got to be in a prominent position. Part you, of why you're you got to go to a prominent bar. What's that? Or you got to go to a prominent well, bar true. and you rise up the... But part of why you be you get put on that list is because you're in a franchise where there's big expectation. And in Arizona, there was big expectation. Is last Cliff's, year, they were last undefeated team. Is it Kingsbury's fault that Kyler Murray is addicted to video games like Quinn Pitcock? Boy, they're in trouble. New Call of Duty comes out in a couple weeks. <laughs> Double XP weekend. Isn't that, didn't done. somebody like go back and look at all of his stats and figure out that when Call of Duty comes out, Kyler Murray's... 
It's when, it's when there's double XP weekends, which means you get double experience points. Oh, my gosh. So that's awesome that yeah. someone looked that up. Yeah. That his production drops drastically. <laughs> Sean Pretty points wild. out Trevor Lawrence really good against the Chargers earlier this year. Yes, he was. But, uh, again, you look at the full sample size of his, what, 20-some game NFL career at this point. Um He's been a pretty average QB. They're starting to get Travis Etienne a little bit more yeah. involved. He's big. Um, and relying on their running game. I think that'll probably help in that regard, but I I don't think that's of concern this weekend per se. One offensive line note from yesterday, you don't see very often Chris Ballard make signings that Ryan Grigson also made, but you did see that yesterday. I forgot this dude was even playing in the NFL. 36-year-old Ty Inseki. Mm-hmm, yep. Offensive tackle signed to the practice squad, 17 career starts, 93 career games played. And again, signed to the practice squad, but with the new practice squad rules implemented here a couple years ago, these guys can get called uh, up on game day. School the, for Ty Inseki? Boy, see, I remember. I'm going to go TCU. Do you know? I'll never forget Grigson being like, dude, this guy, Arena Football League, but trust me, he's got a body on him. The next Jarrell Freeman type of signing. Uh, I boy, I have no idea. TCU for me. Mark your guess. Has a little bit of a go Oregon State. Okay, not bad. It has a little bit of a Boise State. Now is State this field. one of those TCUs that you've looked up before the show? Yeah, and now you're acting I like want to guess. Would have known. Air. Give me Kansas State, I guess. Oh, that was mine yesterday. That yeah. that hit. Oh, I took TCU the other day. So did you? Do you have it, Mark? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, hold on. Look. Can I can I redo then and go with Utah State? Is that only because you heard of Utah State? No, when because we you said that you mentioned or you mentioned TCU. Ty, how do you spell his last name? N S E K H E. Okay, you had to have looked this up again. No, I did not. Hold on, I'm looking Texas it up right State. now. Texas State. Yeah, see, then if I looked it up, I probably would have said Texas State. Well, you can't be too obvious. You got to yeah. be a little subtle. You can't get it right every single Here's time. his resume. Corpus Christi Sharks, Dallas Vigilantes, Philadelphia Soul, San Antonio Talent. Do the chickens have large talents? The Colts, <laughs> the Rams, the Saints, Montreal Alouettes, Washington football team, Los Angeles Kiss, second stint with the Washington football team, Buffalo Bills, Dallas Cowboys, Colts. Wow, okay. Again, 36 years old. Um, I would say the difference with him and Dennis Kelly, because some people will be like, wait, don't you already have Dennis Kelly? Inseki's a guy that has a little bit more left tackle history, whereas Dennis Kelly's a little bit more of a right tackle. I know we're kind of grasping at straws, but just trying to give some background and explanation on why that move would be made. Again, signed to the practice squad yesterday. All right, Stephen Holder, he's going to join us next here. Kevin Aquari. Eight o'clock hour underway. Kevin Aquari here on a Wednesday morning. Good morning to you. Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liquors guest line to talk about Colts and Jaguars, among other things. You can read Stephen's work at ESPN.com. He, of course, covering not only the Colts, but the entire NFL. Stephen, I'm going to parlay off of what Kevin and I were just talking about by asking you this. Uh, Against the Colts, Trevor Lawrence, for the most part, has looked like a guy that's the number one overall pick in the league. Against everybody else, he looks like a guy that is extremely pedestrian. What is the difference in terms of the way the Colts are trying to play him versus others that has allowed him to flourish within the division? Well, you know, I actually don't think there's necessarily a lot of carryover because you know, they've played him, what, three times, I guess? And 
two of those times they played in a completely different defensive system, <laughs> which was last year. And this year they, they're in a different system with Gus Bradley. So I don't even think that strategically there's a lot of carryover. I, I just think they have allowed him to, to operate comfortably, you know, from the pocket. And, and particularly in this, this year's earlier game, you know, he, he was comfortable you know, making the, the quicker throws and not under a lot of duress. And I just think when a quarterback can operate comfortably, they operate at a higher level. I mean, look at Matt Ryan. He's a great example of that. When when he can't operate comfortably, he turns into mush, right? That's what he is at times right now. So I really think it's that simple. I really do. And there may be some other specific, um, you know, characteristics that, that we can find between the games. Um, in terms of strategy, but but I think that's the biggest thing, you know, particularly with young quarterbacks, right? You're talking about confidence. Trevor Lawrence is a good player, and if you allow him to, him to to do the things that that he does well, he's gonna you know he's gonna hurt you. And I think the Colts have been evidence of that. From ESPN.com, he is Stephen Holder with us every Wednesday here on Kevin and Query. Steven, it seems to be, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but with your recent line of questioning, you are working on some sort of Matt Ryan turnover story. Um, 11 fumbles, 7 interceptions through the first five weeks. Part of me says Colts fans should be optimistic about Ryan turning that around. Like, he has no track record of this alarming numbers, fumbles or interception-wise, in his career. Um, it seems to be just kind of like you know, rookie quarterback sort of mistakes. And at some point, it's like, wait, a 15-year vet can't keep on doing that. But then the other part of me is like, wait a minute, is this a 37-year-old QB whose physical gifts are starting to wane and he's simply reacting to so much breaking down around him? I go back and forth, like, by the hour. (laughs) I can't decide either. So here's what I would say. I I think that there is reason to to take the the first position, right? That this is a temporary thing, uh, that he'll come out of this. I've been saying that for five weeks, though, and I keep wondering, okay, at what point is that going to demonstrate itself as being true? I don't know. You know, you would think at some point you would start to see some indication that that is the case. We have not. And that is what is, I, I think, discomforting about this. Now, at the same time, the offensive line play hasn't improved drastically either. So so the conditions under which he has struggled with the ball security, they have they have carried on. They have persisted, right? So I don't know if the conditions change, maybe his performance changes. You know, that's the part we can't say. Uh, but at some point, I, I do think, and this is what I was getting at with Marcus Brady yesterday, the offensive coordinator, you know, is, is, there, is there something fundamental here and Matt Ryan that you can address, maybe not fix. I mean, the guy's 37, right? What are you going to fix at 37? But but just for the moment, you know, maybe create a heightened awareness of something he may be doing. And he did seem to indicate that he, he needs to keep two hands on the ball, and maybe that is something that Matt Ryan has not consistently done. So I'll be watching for that here in the coming weeks. Stephen, what's interesting to me, and I, I want you to, to add in on this or, or – Simply tell me I'm wrong, okay? If I am, what's interesting to me I would is happily I, tell you you're wrong. By <laughs> yeah. That will no, be a first, means, right? Stephen. We've Thank done you. this a few times, Stephen. Right? Um, <laughs> listen, when you know Matt Ryan became available to the Colts 
because the Falcons publicly flirted with Deshaun Watson and Matt Ryan found out about it, and then you thought, oh, boy, now we got to do something here. We're in a unique situation. And at the time, I thought that was strictly about Atlanta being intrigued by a young player in Deshaun Watson that has a lot of upside. And I thought really that Matt Ryan was a casual, innocent victim in all of that. And now I'm wondering if, in fact, that overture was not as much about Matt Ryan as it was Deshaun Watson. Am I wrong? No, that's that's fair. That is fair. No, unfortunately, I can't tell you you're wrong because I would have taken great pleasure. Um, well, thank but, you. <laughs> but here's what I'd say. I think, yes, at some point, the Falcons aren't stupid. They knew they were going to have to hit the reset button at some point. I mean, the, the Colts cut Peyton Manning, right? Different circumstances, completely different circumstances. Let me be clear. But I'm just saying, you know, there are situations that require a reboot at times. And while the Falcons didn't have a, a number one overall pick you know, in the draft waiting in the wings like the Colts did with Andrew Luck, so the situation is completely different. They, they knew at some point they were going to have to reboot that quarterback. I mean, he's 37. They are a, a little bit of they're, – they're in a rebuilding phase, honestly. I mean, that's, that's where they are. They're, they're probably over, outperforming, you know, their expectations a little bit just in terms of how they're playing. Maybe not their record, but how they're playing. But, but yeah, they're, they're kind of rebuilding, so they knew that. Uh, and, and I think that was, that was understood going into that whole flirtation with Deshaun Watson. Now, I do think, just in my reporting, that that the Deshaun Watson, the, the specific uh, interest in Deshaun Watson, and given all the controversy about Deshaun Watson, it pissed off Matt Ryan. And he'll never say it. He will never, ever, ever, ever say it. But I think he took great offense to that. Now, that has nothing to do with your question, per se, but, but I do think that sort of escalated things a little bit. And, but at the same time, look, I mean, the, the Falcons were very accommodating <laughs> and they were like, Hey, if you want out, we're fine with that. So I think that does tell you something. It tells you they were ready to move on, whether they were ready to move on or at least prepared to move on. Maybe it, it's partly because of, of where he is in his performance and his age and so forth. And also just their, their need to turn the page. It's a little bit of both. But you're not wrong. It wasn't completely just a matter of, okay, Matt Ryan's angry. He doesn't like us anymore. Let's let's let him have a, a way out. It, it was more complicated than that. Steven, shifting gears to the O-line, um, how surprised are you that it's both the run blocking and the pass blocking? Like, they're 29th in yards per carry. Yeah. They're 29th in sacks allowed. You know, sometimes you see offensive lines, it's one thing or the other. I thought last year the O-line was a pretty good run-blocking unit. Pass-blocking had some issues. How surprised are you that it's a little, really a little bit of both? A lot of yeah, both, frankly. It, it's my it's my biggest surprise because I thought the the pass-blocking started to erode last year. So I'm I'm surprised it's as bad as it is. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's god-awful. It's offensive. <laughs> okay. But at the same time, I saw some slippage last year. And, and I think part of that was we saw the left tackle issue last year. It was an issue last year. It's been an issue this year. Uh, I think those, but those three key spots, I'm talking about Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, and, and, and Ryan Kelly, they were relatively consistent. Uh, although Quentin was hurt most of the year, had his worst season. But even, even by, 
even considering all of that, I thought Quentin Nelson was was certainly um, good enough, right? Braden Smith, when he was hurt, he really struggled. When he was healthy, he played fine. Ryan Kelly was in and out of the lineup. You know the story there. But he was okay. I, I think the the slippage of those three guys has been stunning to me. Um, but I think specifically to your question, the, the, the most stunning thing has been just the slippage in the run blocking because the one thing these guys could do and the one thing they always enjoyed doing, these are the, these are the run the damn ball guys, right? Okay, the guys who, who wore the hats proudly and, and wore that physical play on their sleeves, that demeanor. They created that. They, they, they created the demeanor of this team for three years. These are the guys who now can't run block. And that's, that's like shocking. That is shocking. That being said, here's the silver lining, and it ain't much. <laughs> I think we saw the best rushing performance since week one on Thursday night against Denver. I know it wasn't the prettiest. I understand that. But they had their, their highest, uh, I think their, their best rushing performance since week one, and they did it without uh, Jonathan Taylor. And we're talking about this a week after, one week after against Tennessee, remember, I think there were 1.7 yards per carry. I went back and looked. That was their worst yards per carry performance in like nine years. Okay, we're talking about all, all the Pagano-era offensive lines, even, you know, Trent Richardson and all of Yeah, Trent was at least 2.4. Right. Worse than that. Okay, Khaled Holmes and all those guys, right? You know, remember that? So we're talking about worse than that era's, uh, most of that era's uh, yard per carry performance. And that's, I'm cherry picking stats a little bit, but I mean, it does tell you something. I think, I think yards per carry tells you a lot. So anyway, I, I saw some really viable run blocking late in that game. They busted a couple runs that they weren't long runs, but they were, they were adequate runs and the kinds of runs you need to at least make your offense functional. So get Jonathan Taylor healthy and try to tap into that, try to lean into that. Because you're right, the, the run blocking is the one thing I never worried about with this team, and it has it has been greatly diminished. Okay, as you look ahead to Sunday, and again, Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN.com. I've got Quint Nelson at left guard and Sharpie. I'm moving Brain Smith back to right tackle. At yeah. left tackle, I guess you stick with Bernard Ryman. I, I do think there's an element of I probably have one eye towards the future. Let him grow. you got to help him out a little bit more than you did last Thursday. But I think, you know, a, a, another chance makes sense. Center and right guard, though, Stephen, I debate. I, I really debate Danny Pinter and Ryan Kelly. I know financially there's no debate, but uh, that's a debate for me. And then at right guard, I would debate Will Fries and Matt Pryor. I think Pryor is much more of a guard than he is a tackle. Your thoughts on that sort of offensive line makeup for Sunday? Okay, I will start with over. Right, so certainly, I agree with you on Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. I think those are no-brainers. Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta stabilize the tackle spot, and and putting Matt Pryor at right tackle was not the move. Okay, like at the end of the day, tackles right or left, you're going to see speed. All right. If you can't handle the speed on the left side, you're not going to handle the speed on the right side. So I like the I, I like the idea in theory of shaking it up last week. I'm glad they did it. It shows that they're self-aware and they know that they suck right now. But that that was not the move. So yeah, get prior off off of any sort of offensive tackle spot. 
Uh, I do like Ryman at left tackle. I think he has a lot of upside. I actually don't think his performance was nearly as bad as the penalties indicate because I thought a couple of the penalties were a little half-assed. Can I say that on the radio? Yes, I am. all right, so yeah, I thought I thought there were a couple of ticky tack calls, and I think he settled in in the second half. I, I think he is the guy who has the brightest future there. There's no question. I mean, he's the only guy with a future, but but he has a future, I think, potentially. And you need to see more. So let him settle in. He did that, by the way, with no practice, literally no practice last week. So give him a shot. He's got a full week to work on it, and he's going to see all kinds of speed this week. So. We'll see. We're going to find out about him this week. This is a tough matchup for him. Now, at center and, and right guard, I agree with you at right guard. I think that Pryor is a better option there. I think Will Fries is the guy we don't know a lot about, and maybe it's time to find out. I, I thought that there was a lot of optimism about him uh, in the offseason internally, and, and even in training camp we heard some good things. I don't know. I mean, how bad could he be? Let's see. By Ryan the way, Kelly's a tough one. Steven – Speaking collegiately real quick, Stephen, I know you're a graduate of Miami. Uh, they're on they're on a real hot streak here, right, the Hurricanes? Well, I mean, hot streak of not losing by three touchdowns. Losing to Texas A&M, losing to, was it mid-Tennessee State? Uh, it's it's middle Tennessee State. Sorry, okay, sure. middle the, Tennessee the three State. Three people in our in our listeners,ship who went there would and be losing to North Carolina. Uh, what the hell's going on with Miami? They they had high expect. I mean, honestly, and, and I'll I'll turn it you know localize it here, but it's kind of like the Colts, right? I mean, there was this high expectation, and you just kind of go, what's going on here? Well, two th- one thing, two things actually. The the expectations were 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 a little too grand for sure. There's no question about it. Were they that. for the, the Colts? Expectations. Well, the Miami. I know, but what sure. I'm saying, were they the Colts, were they of equally inflated for the Colts? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess if you consider where they're at right now versus what they were talking about before the season, I, I guess so. Yeah. And and I think for different reasons, but but there's there's one common there's one common sort of characteristic between the two. I think both teams had a lot of high hopes at quarterback and the quarterback production has been underwhelming for both. You know, I I think they were talking about, you know, Miami's quarterback, for example, being a a first round pick, potentially projected first round picks next year. Uh, We obviously Matt Ryan, there's a lot of hope invested in him and, and that hasn't panned out. So uh, it goes back to quarterback at, at every level of football, right? That's the other thing. That's the one thing I should say. The, the thing with Miami, I would say, is that I think really the the, the personnel was over was certainly overrated outside of quarterback as well. I think next year they have a pretty good recruiting class if they can keep these guys. If they don't get so offended and maybe go somewhere else, if they can keep that recruiting class intact. They have a chance. That's not necessarily a a, a parallel with the Colts there, but I do think. The one, the one possible parallel is that some of the returning players of the Colts are underperforming. Maybe some of the players we thought with Miami who were, who were better, we thought they were better than they are, turns out they're not. And I don't know. I, I, the difference is some of these players in Indianapolis have played well before, i.e. the offensive linemen, and now can't get their act together. So I don't know. I'm, I'm reaching a little bit there, but, but I, I see where you're going with that. There definitely were expectations – that have not been met on both sides. Steven, um, one coach is in his first year, the other guy's on the hot seat. <laughs> no, you think Frank Reich is on the hot seat? I do, yeah. You think Absolutely. Chris Ballard's on the hot seat? 
uh, his seat is warm, not hot. Okay. Um, we 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 got just rousing. We had a meeting the other day where they they did some market research and said that the number one topic that we talked about in the last month was DB Cooper in terms of audio, uh, you know, audience response. And so, since we know now that you're a fascination uh, with DB Cooper, um, have you watched the Dahmer show on Netflix? We finished it last night. Have you watched it? No, I, I've only gotten through one episode, and I I I downloaded a bunch of them. Uh, saying I was going to watch him on my flight out west last week, and I just ended up working half the way, half way through the flight, so I didn't get very far. But okay. I've got it queued up. So, circle well, back uh, to spoiler you. alert: he gets convicted. Um, oh boy! But well, that doesn't seem fair. No. <laughs> yeah, curious if you have a counter to that, Stephen. We have you on next Wednesday. I, I did want to go back to just saying before we got into Miami's five-star recruits. I think you were going to say something on the Ryan Kelly front. Uh, oh. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, and I get injuries I have played into it, Stephen. I I get injuries have played into it, yeah. but I just have seen a, a downfall. And every week, I feel like we watch these telecasts and Pro Bowl center Ryan Kelly. I'm like, well, not really. It's I'm I'm kind of stunned, man. I don't know what to, I don't know how to how to talk about it anymore. And when I when I mean that, what I mean by that, excuse me, is I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? Like. I, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not saying that Ryan Kelly was ever, you know, some Hall of Fame player. But my God, what in the world? I, I don't know, man. I, I can't understand it. And I want to believe that he's just massively injured. <laughs> I, I want to believe that because I like Ryan Kelly. I think he's a good player or at least at one point was. And I'm not seeing it and I don't understand it. I, but I agree with you. I, I think it's going to be – extremely difficult though it will be extremely difficult for for them to bench him uh, it, it would be probably the, the biggest personnel decision frank reich's ever made not because he's just you know this great player but just in terms of status right yeah, longest so tenure like Colt, don't laugh at me here could they move him elsewhere i i, I don't know i, don't I mean know. they I don't know. I don't know the last time he played anything but center. I mean, could he do it? Theoretically, sure. Uh, but, you know, is it, is it a good move? Is it the best move? I have no idea. And I don't know if they do either. I, I don't think they have any clue. He's never played anything else. When, when it comes to putting Danny Pinter into the sitter position, do you feel like that, for both you guys, Kevin, uh, feel free to chime in here. Is that sentiment, do you think, more about the fact that Danny Pinter played it at a level that it's hard to keep him away from it, or Ryan Kelly has simply regressed to the point where it's dangerous to have him there? Uh, I think that two things. Number one, I think Danny Pinter is a viable NFL player, but not at guard. He is a viable NFL player at center. Um, Ryan, is he, is he an upgrade from Ryan Kelly right now? Pro- probably a little bit. I, I think we probably need to see a little more, but all I know is that Ryan Kelly is hurting them. That That is a fair statement. Ryan Kelly is hurting them. Now, if you get better play at right guard and stabilize the right guard spot, does that help your center? It does. And and maybe that makes a difference. But you know, we're, we're projecting there. I don't know. Steven, last one from me. Um, by no means am I saying this as a starting jump, but do you think we are – close at all to Sam Ellinger dressing for this football team this season like do you think it's crept into their minds of like 
man, if Ryan gets hurt, we don't want a statue back there. We'd rather just have Ellinger running around. And maybe you would wait for Ryan actually to get hurt to make that move. But it seems like with the injuries starting to pile up for this team, the first time it's really been notable, noticeable that this season, we're kind of reaching a point where they got to do something with Sam Ellinger. I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. Two things. Number one, their record is such, look, I get, I I see it. Okay. I I know what they look like. Okay. But that doesn't matter. Their, their record is such, and until this changes, the record is such that they are in the playoff race. Okay. For sure. And they've got, they're the AFC South favorite in Vegas. Yeah, I mean they've got they got they're at Tennessee next week. They can go down there and they can change everything, right? So we'll see. Uh, so that's the first thing. That's the reality of it. And and by the way, you got a coaching staff that is singularly focused on on trying to win because they know what's at stake. <laughs> Their livelihood is at stake. And and I think the players, you know, the players see it that way too. I mean, anyway. So the other thing is, for all of his absolute disastrous play so far for Matt Ryan. Okay, and it has been bad at times, really bad at times. Matt Ryan, they they don't win that game last week without Matt Ryan. There's no way, and I know that he caused a lot of the problems that got them to to, to have to make a fourth quarter comeback, and that was probably true in the previous games too. Be that as it may, all right. Sam Ellinger, if he ever steps in there and plays, he's going to screw up too. <laughs> okay, let me tell you, he's probably going to screw up a lot, and and that's not a slight to him. It's just a product of of a young quarterback playing, right? That's going to happen, especially one who has disadvantages like he does. Size, uh, certainly arm strength, all those things, right? So Matt Ryan's ability to, in the face of, you know, a, a pretty daunting situation, be able to step in there and make difficult throws, which he did do and has done in fourth quarters of most of their games, that's going to be the difference right now and I, in the coaches' minds, and I don't think anything will change as a result of all of those reasons. It'll be the uh, first uh, rematch in the AFC South this season for the Colts. As Steven said, it's at Tennessee next Sunday, but home to Jacksonville coming up this Sunday at 1 o'clock. The Colts are a two-point favorite currently in that one. Steven, as always, thank you, my man. Okay, guys. Talk to you soon. The 9 o'clock hour is underway. My name is Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear on this program, Mark Dykton as well. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5. And let me tell you something. They had a meeting for a month about how to come up with that name. 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Joining us now in the Payless Liquors guest line, Jeremiah Johnson, who is with Bally Sports Indiana. He has stepped away from his role as the primary sideline reporter for the St. Louis Cardinals in order to do his Pacers duties on the side. Um, Jeremiah, you used that joke a couple weeks ago. You don't need to bring it back. <laughs> wow, Jeremiah. Well, Johnson. thanks for joining us, Jeremiah. We look forward to the season upcoming. Um, Boy, I can't. I was already looking forward to tonight. Now I'm really looking forward to tonight, JJ. <laughs> now, see, Jeremiah. That's here's right. the thing: we have to recycle our audience every 22 minutes because of the the commute time in Indianapolis. See, because our product is available to everybody streaming or not. See, that's oh, the, so wow. so we have to recycle man. that. Um, you know oh. what JJ said about your joke? In my opinion, that sucked. <laughs> no surprise yeah. there. No, I, it was good at the time, but you know, baseball season is though. So, you know. 
Well, I it is for the Cardinals. Do, that's correct. Peru Circus, or I expected a Peru Circus or a mascot reference before the, the, the baseball. Yeah, let's not so give him any ideas, JJ. Yeah, let's we'll, we'll, focus on the task at hand. We're going to start the whole thing over again. Here we go. Uh, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Good morning. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well. Jeremiah Johnson, who was once Charlie Cardinal for, uh, Cardinal for Ball State and also was a trapeze artist uh, growing up in Peru, which is the circus capital of the world, joins us. JJ, Kevin was just saying, and I want your thought on it, um, that this year for the Pacers, they have the opportunity to really, I, I think they've been smart kind of in their upfront nature here of what they're doing, which is renovating the entire thing altogether and kind of taking the pressure off themselves. Is that true? I think so. I mean, you still are going to play games and you're going to try to win, but you're not necessarily in January or February going to determine whether you've had a successful season by where you are in the standings. You're going to look at individual development. You're going to use a lot of these games to, you know, determine rotations, determine what you have and what is the piece that you're going to want to build around moving forward. So there is a little bit of, you know, the pressure is off a little bit. I think maybe even when we talked last week, I might've even referenced this, that you're going to have some teams that come in and maybe take the Pacers for granted or take it as a win and take them lightly. And I know one thing that this team will play hard every single night and there will be some nights that it looks really good. And there will be some nights that they struggle. And last week is a perfect example. They looked really good in Charlotte. And then they took on a team that is a little bit of a different makeup, maybe a little more physical in the New York Knicks and, and they struggled. So we'll see what they can do if they can make some adjustments and they, they can make some incremental improvements tonight when they have a rematch against the Knicks. Uh, JJ, non-defense, because I would say that would be the biggest question. Um, what would be your biggest on-court concern, curiosity about this team? Um, you know, individually, there are a few guys that I'm just looking to see how they play together. And one of them is, is Jalen Smith with you know, Miles Turner in the front court. And maybe even specifically, if Jalen Smith can be the kind of player that is a starting four and someone that you're going to have, you know, 28 to 30 minutes, or is he someone that starts some games and maybe plays just as much as maybe your backups? And there are going to be some some situations and some times where, you know, can he guard a smaller stretch four, or even at times on Friday maybe struggle a little bit where he was trying to guard Julius Randle, who's a unique four. There are not a lot of fours uh, like Julius Randle. So maybe specifically, I'm going to be watching Jalen Smith early on in this season and and then um you know defense is you, you said remove that from the equation rebounding is something i think we've always tried to watch and i think it's something that is it was emphasized last season and it's been something that maybe doesn't hasn't gotten as much attention in training camp but i know they're working on it you've got to finish the possessions and do they have the kind of lineup that can be you know really good at rebounding if you look at just the starting lineup you know miles turner is a really good defender at times Rebounding hasn't been a strength, so can Jalen Smith get in there and get the tough rebounds? If you're having a backcourt with Duarte, Halliburton, and, and Buddy Heald, there is some concern to me of, of some rebounding and, and giving up second-chance opportunities. So in a, in a big-picture theme uh, aspect, rebounding might be the one thing I might be watching early in the season. What player most intrigues you? I mean, there are a lot of intriguing players on this year's roster uh, both kind of in a good and bad category in terms of what's known about them, but who most intrigues you? Terry Taylor, probably, just because last season you saw him playing a lot against, you know, it was it was a time where the Pacers were giving opportunities to different players on different nights, and you, you really liked the potential that he had, but 
I'm still a little bit intrigued by what he is specifically. You know he's, I think you've even referenced this, the Swiss Army type where he can play a lot of different positions. But what is his best position? What is his best role? And maybe it goes back to my last answer in he might be the best rebounder on the team. He might be one of the best rebounders in the NBA, especially pound for pound or at least for his size. So that will get him on the court, but can he do some of the other things to stay on the court to make sure that you know you don't take advantage of him in other aspects? So I think he's the most intriguing. I, I like him as a guy that can come off the bench and, and play for and you know maybe you have some small lineups that get out and go and if he was just about three or four inches taller, yeah, he would be, you know, outstanding. But he is what he is, and he takes advantage of what he's given. So um, I think he fits that intriguing description for someone that I'll be watching as well. Bally Sports, Jeremiah Johnson, no pregame show, right, tonight? No pregame today or Friday, and then we'll be um, normal plan for next week with a one-hour pregame show prior to that season opener and even before that on monday i believe we'll have a few different airings of uh, special 30-minute season previews so you should actually get about an hour and a half of pregame coverage on wednesday because i think that would air uh 5 30 to 6 the season preview show and then the one hour pacers live next wednesday so that'll be in about a week but just the game tonight and friday on valley sports jj it's rather shocking i've waited till 908 to touch on benedict matherin but i'm practicing patience here with mr matherin um i like the second unit role for him right now i think you've seen it in these preseason games i mean he is got major scoring ability and I think with TJ McConnell and if Terry Taylor's in that second unit you know Aaron Neesmith's more of a spot-up guy when he's healthy I think it makes sense to have Matherin with that group I would think the thing that stood out to me in the summer league and we've seen it here in the first couple of games has been his willingness to drive and his ability to finish at the rim uh, get to the foul line a little bit I think that's kind of an area of his game that we didn't see a ton of at Arizona And the fact that you've seen it so early in his rookie season, to me, J.J., that kind of adds to the you drafted a a prospect that had a lot of kind of raw ability to go along with some pretty, you know, NBA-type traits right away as well. It's a great sign because you would think the opposite, right? You would think you're, you're playing against college guys and you would maybe just because of your, you know, muscle, athleticism, force, be able to attack and drive, and then you would maybe take it slowly in the NBA against much bigger players and to have him be able to do that show signs in summer league. And I've seen in practice, he does have that ability to get to the basket and a willingness to, and, and you have to have guys to be successful. You have to have guys that can, you know, beat their, their man off the dribble that can beat the double teams that can get to the basket. The one thing in our interview uh, that we had with Kevin Pritchard that will air on that season preview show next week and he said something and it caught me off guard a little bit but it makes a lot of sense is he said we're going to take things slowly with Benedict Matherin and it's tough because he's probably the kind of player if you ask him he doesn't want to take things slowly he wants to go full speed ahead on opening night do as much as he can as fast as he can and so they're going to have to probably have a little bit of a balance as you mentioned it does look like as of now maybe coming off the bench I don't think the starting lineup is officially set for next week but I think that is a good role for him because you know a you're you're scoring and you're defending most likely when you first come into the game against maybe second unit players and you can feel your way a little bit and the one thing that will help him if he's playing with that second unit help him get to the basket help him get more opportunities not that playing with Tyrese Halliburton doesn't help you get 
looks. But I think T.J. McConnell at times, he'll be looking for his fellow Arizona Wildcat on the court, and he'll be giving Benedict Matherin some really easy opportunities. He can be the star of the second unit, the go-to guy, to where if you're in a starting lineup and, you know, one night you're you're going against the backcourt that you're, you're facing uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and then you've got these elite defenders, it can be a little – challenging and maybe harder to get to the basket. So I, I think the role is perfect the way they've got him coming off the bench, the guys that he's playing with. He'll still play plenty of rotation minutes with guys like Tyrese Halliburton and, and interchangeable parts with some of those starters. But um, good point by you on him getting to the basket. Jeremiah Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports and the Pacers is our guest on the Payless Liquors guest line. I had mentioned this a couple of times, but I want your, your thought on it. The Pacers have been very open, and I, I kind of applaud this approach. You know, they, they, they've they gone through the cycle of being a six seed, being a seven seed, drafting 18th, and they've been very transparent and open about the fact of, like, you know, listen, this is a rebuild, a retool, and there are other teams that are going to be vying to do the same because it's a very deep, seemingly draft upcoming but Kevin and I were talking about this, and I want your thought on it, J.J. Are they almost too young, talented, and full of players that maybe don't know any better as to what their potential might be that they could just kind of fall their way into 25 to 30 wins despite, I hate saying, not trying to trying not to win games. I don't want to say it that way, but it just feels to me like there are going to be nights where they're going to get wins even – just by default because they have young, energetic talent. Your thoughts? I think there's, it's a valid point, and you can't uh, – it's a little difficult to start a season and you've yet to play one regular season game and you're concerned that, that you might win too much. I mean, that, and I understand the thought process and, and the feeling from, from you know, media members, from fans, because at the end of the day, maybe what you're hoping for is development and one of these franchise-altering type of players – that being said, health will play a big factor. I mean, you don't have you have depth, but you don't have as much proven depth. So if you have an injury, or maybe you have a trade or a move, I I wouldn't. If you're a Pacers fan, I want you. You think you should go out opening week? I mean, there's three games at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. They're really all against opponents that you have a chance to compete with and to win. And if you go out and have a successful first week, be happy about that. I mean, I I don't want people to get confused in that this whole season is just about you know trying to get a, a good draft pick because they're going to try to win I mean they are if otherwise you wouldn't see them practicing and going as hard as, as they can and the coaching staff they're coaching to win games so I understand what you're saying I think there may be some concern but you just have to go back to last week if you ask them that question on Thursday I'd say wow they dominated the Charlotte Hornets and, and maybe they're a team that you know is much better and than the pro than the predictions and then you see they're so young over the course of an 82 game season if they stay that young there are going to be nights like you had against the new york knicks and you have to just be willing to take your medicine a little bit so uh, maybe see where everything is in january and if you did end up winning more games than you thought and you're in the middle of january then you adjust on the fly a little bit i mean who knows how things will go and what will happen at that point so um, I understand the question. Only thing I'll say is let's just see how things go in the first couple of months. Thirty games. That's kind of where I'm, where I need it to be. <laughs> yeah. Thirty. Yeah, right around. People 30. usually say twenty games. You know a lot. I think it. I think thirty is a good. No, 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 no JJ. I need them to win thirty games. Oh. Just for, 
to future 529s and just some things like that. We can talk more about that off air. I don't know if that's uh, a legal one eight hundred nine with I'm it. Liberty to discuss. Yes, I know. I don't want to get you in. Tr- I don't want you to be full time with the St. Louis Cardinals by any means. <laughs> um, Washington, San Antonio, Detroit, right out of the gate. I-, I look at this schedule, and you just touched on it, JJ. It's got a very like three at home, five on the road, four at home, six on the road. I don't remember it being like that grouped. Am I wrong? I mean, you, you obviously travel, and I know you haven't done it in the past couple of years, so you probably pay attention to the schedule much more than I do. But I felt like it used to be a little bit more, you know, back-to-back, home and away, or, you know, like things like that. Yeah, good good note by you. And it was odd when the schedule came out, especially the first half of the season. It did feel like more three to four game road trips and then home for, you know, you don't, you didn't used to see this home on a Friday and home on a Saturday. Uh, So that first week you've got three opportunities to see the Pacers and then everyone uh, that works the home games, they get a chance to catch their breath a little bit. And then we hit the road for the next five. So I do think it was an unusual schedule. I'm not sure there's anything to that other than when you're going for one game and flying right back, maybe you're adding some mileage and some unnecessary flights. And if you can, you know, knock out a couple of games like on that first trip, it is one of the things that we've seen adjust in the schedule in the last couple of years. You're playing Brooklyn on a Saturday, you're staying there, and then you're playing them on Halloween night. So you're knocking out both of those games at Barclays Center in one weekend. So that definitely is less travel. That does, you know, maybe, you know, eliminate a little bit of wear and tear, even though it's on the, the back half of the road trip. But for a young team, I don't necessarily worry as much about the road trips, especially early in the season, everybody's got that youthful enthusiasm, that excitement. And I know personally, um, while it will be an adjustment because I haven't been on the road since the game against the Mavericks in March of 2020, I'm excited to get back to do the job and be able to you know, see everything with my own eyes, all 82 games. And so I am looking forward to that trip. I just got to make sure I've still got the suitcases. They're all ready to go. All the, all the clothes are still fitting. So I've got some things to do before that first road trip. But um, we're looking forward to, to covering all the action all season long. All right, JJ, last one for me. Let's say a week from tonight, the Washington Wizards inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It's 107-106, 12 seconds to go. Pacers down by one. Who do you want taking that last shot? I think Tyrese Halliburton is your guy. I mean, he's he, you want the ball in his hands maybe more than I would say with the last shot, and you are confident that he'll make the right decision, that if he has an opening, if he can get that shot off and have a good look, then I think you want him to have that shot. But he also would have that sense that, wait a sec, if I'm driving or if all of a sudden someone throws a double team at me, I can flip it over to, to Buddy Heald or uh, Chris Duarte. I mean, those are, those are three guys. You, your backcourt shooters um, would be the guys that probably would most want the ball in my hands. But it would be a great debut if your guy, Betting Matherin, was on the yeah, court. I'm not sure if I can handle that. first game. <laughs> I, yeah. th- that would cross a line for me there, JJ. It's probably best, you know, wait till year, year two or year, year three for that one. Um, uh, th- there will be some moment this season that will have that opportunity, I will predict. Jeremiah, I'm, I can be a judgmental guy. Uh, so I'm going to judge you on this answer. If it's wrong, I'm actually, I'm totally going to call you out on it. I, I think we've had this discussion, so you probably know which way I will lean. I used to have this conversation a lot with Sean Devaney, who's a national basketball writer. But you, Jeremiah Johnson, travel the league. You go to other arenas. We will take Boomer out of the equation for the obvious reason. So my question for you is, the best NBA mascot is who? 
it's a good question. A lot of the times they're doing their work when I'm doing my work, but I probably do pay more attention to the mascots than most. And so I'm going to start by saying the one that I am. That's not a I statement a lot of people say. <laughs> not a lot of 40-ish-year-old men say that. So thank you, Jeremiah. <laughs> Uh, Benny the Bull is probably my least favorite. Can I start with okay, that? Okay, that's fair. Uh, that's fine. That's good. Okay. Because his height, you know, co- constantly dumping popcorn on broadcasters when they're trying to do their job. At, at some point, it gets old. It was funny the first time, but every single oh, it's season. Like the Charlie Cardinal, need- or it's like the Cardinal sideline joke. Okay. Good to know you judge All right. others. Uh, All right. I'm going to go with the Gorilla, the gorilla from uh, the Suns. I think he, uh, yeah. he's been doing it for a long time. Wow. Oh. He's okay. He's so not bad. Judge me? What about the Nuggets, dude? The Nuggets, he ranks up there pretty high. Rocky, I think <laughs> it is Rocky all the way, man. Yeah. He's and, got a lightning I bolt for a tail. Between those two. Him and Barkley <laughs> would always get into it, right? Ah, oh, he's the best. Now, the Gorilla, it's hard. Jeremiah, I mean, I'll give you credit here. Now, that's proper pronunciation i think that's right there was i don't know if it is i just have a gorilla goal so i said gorilla <laughs> i'm not certain how that comes into play of why he's the phoenix suns mascot but he did have he 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 dropped his drumstick on the court a couple of years ago during a game in live action and his quickness to get out and clear the court of his drumstick and then find himself back to the sidelines was one of the more remarkable things i've ever seen so he gets credit there, um, but I don't think anybody tops Rocky. I, the the well, Nuggets mascot the thing is, is personally. Whenever I see you know Rocky, and I think of the Denver Nuggets, I know it's for Gold Nuggets, correct? Uh, but you know, my sons when they were first kind of getting used to to the league and, and the different teams, they thought they were the Denver Chicken Nuggets. So I guess <laughs> I have that problem. That I look at I look at the Denver Nuggets mascot, and I think his head's the Chicken Nuggets. Uh, <laughs> You know, now that you mentioned it, it kind of does. I, I'm assuming he's a mountain lion, right? <laughs> I, I don't know that. I'll I think to, he's. Uh, I think Rocky team. is a mountain lion with a, but he's got a he's got a lightning bolt tail. But yes, the Nuggets are named Nuggets because of the the gold rush and the gold nuggets. Yeah. Well, see, I think you guys could both appreciate this. My wife and I got our nephew uh, tickets to the Nuggets Pacers game, ironically enough, for his birthday. And so we made kind of like, or she made, I should say, kind of like a little gift certificate looking thing. And I said, just just draw chicken nuggets as the logo. He'd, he's six years old. He would love that. Yeah, though. Um, I never actually, thought of that. The, the issue, though, it was a beautiful looking Pacers logo and Nuggets logo. She put Indianapolis Pacers. Oh, boy. Uh, oh my god (laughs) take it on the colorado nuggets i know yeah (laughs) literally teddy's looking at it like wait i thought the colts were indianapolis and the pacers were indian we've we've confused him but Uh nonetheless we'll be in the building time to come around on that one and that's probably one of the bigger home games early in the year right aren't the nuggets i I think the nuggets are probably Uh, one of the favorites really all the western conference teams i mean maybe the you know, I think from top to bottom, it's going to be really competitive, and you don't know who those top eight are going to be. And, and Denver's a team that never gets the credit at the beginning of the season, but if they're healthy, I'd put them right up there with anyone. Yeah, I would agree. JJ, have a great call tonight. We'll be watching. All right. Thanks both. I always appreciate this uh, morning enlightenment.